And, uh, and so this week, uh, I'm jumping in, and so I'm going to give you just a, a brief overview of the series. And so uh, we have four weeks of this series, and so last week I started on it, and it's really last week I talked about our vision. In other words, who we are and why we do what we do. And, uh, and so I shared that, but really this idea of an anchor point is just like many of you have the understanding, is that there's an anchor, and it holds you steady even in the midst of uh, maybe disrupt, disruptive waters, if you will, or uh, dangerous waters at times. And so it's something that holds you steady regardless of circumstance or situation. And so really my, my, my heart, my goal for this series is to share with you some of the things that really ground us as a church. And so you need to know who we are. We talked about that last week. This week we're going to be talking about uh, really about Scripture, but really the supremacy of Scripture. You're like, well, what does that mean? Supremacy, supreme, first, foremost, most important. Uh, and I'm going to tell you why it's most important today. And, uh, and so there's some things that we'll be talking about. But really, the idea of an anchor is a stabilizing influence. It's a stabilizing force in our life. And, and so we've talked about this last week. And so uh, there's a scripture that actually relates Jesus as being an anchor in our soul. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 6 in verse 19. I shared this last week as well. But it says that we have this certain hope. That's like a strong and unbreakable anchor that's holding our souls to God himself. And it says, if we know we have this anchor, that we have this confidence that we can now stand up against anything and everything that comes our way. And this is very important that we understand these things. And so these aren't necessarily our top four per se, uh, but they are very uh, fundamental and foundational to who we are um, because you know, I believe in all of the aspects that I'm sharing with you over these weeks, but also uh, what it produces in your life. And so, as I've already mentioned last week, we talked about the vision, who we are, why we do, how we do, all those kinds of things. And really what I believe is not just our vision for the church, but more importantly, I believe that it's God's vision for you. And so we're not trying to figure out what we want to do. What we want to do is to say, God, what do you want to do? And we want to hook up with that. And then I think that's more important. And so it's not just our vision for the church. Uh, if you weren't here, I'll give you the, the brief recap. It's, we have four elements of our vision is that we want you to know God, not here, but to really know God in your heart, like a very personal way. And so we want you to experience God. We believe that God is not just God far away. We believe that God is the one who came near, that we can experience him very really, uh, very real in our own hearts. So we want you to have that experience. We also want you to be able to be, uh, to find some freedom. Because as I said last week, we've all got issues. And if you don't think you have issues, that's your issue. And, uh, you know, and so, uh, but there are things that have happened. There are life experiences. There are uh, things in our past that God wants to heal. And that God still heals today. And so that primarily, we believe, happens in relationship. We say it this way, is that you go to God for forgiveness of sins, but you go to his people to be healed. It comes out of James chapter 5, verse 16. And so it's very important. So we believe that you need to belong to a group. You need to be in a small group somewhere. You need to be in relationship with people because we are all in need of one another. And so the third part is we believe that you are designed with purpose. And so we call it discover purpose. We believe that, I, I say it this way, is that you're hardwired to be awesome at something. Like you don't have to become awesome. You're already awesome at something. And there's a kingdom purpose and a kingdom design behind that. And so we want to help you figure out who you are, how you're wired, and all those things. We do that through our Discover class, which we talked about there um, in Church News. You can register for that online. It gets you kind of uh, walking the steps to getting engaged, getting involved, because our church will never be stronger than we are with you. Like the church is not built on my ability. 
And if it is, we're all in trouble. And so it takes all of us, like right now, there are people serving on our dream team. There's people in live stream right now who, there's people watching online because there are people who are engaged in the media to help us be able to put our messages out on the internet. There's people in kids right now who are serving our kids, loving our kids, teaching our kids, training our kids. There were people who greeted you when you walked in today. How many of you enjoyed coffee this morning? How many of you know that coffee doesn't magically appear? Somebody had to get here a little early and prepare that for you. And and so there's all these types of gifts and all these types of things. And here's the thing that I need you to know is we're not going to ask you to do something you hate. That's why we want to help you figure out your design. And and so that's, and and so ultimately all of these things lead up to that. We want to make a difference. In other words, if our church shut down today, my question is, is would our city care? Would it even matter? And the, 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 the answer to that is, if we're making a difference, it would. And so that's the four parts. We want you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose. We want to make a difference individually, but also as a church. And so we talked about that last week. And so today we're talking about scripture. Next, next week, we're going to be talking about living on mission, living on purpose, living intentionally. And the last week, we're going to talk about a spirit-empowered life. And, uh, and so we believe in these four elements. They're not, like I said, they're not the top four necessarily, but these are critical for us as a church and they give us identity as to who we are as a church. And, and so that's some of what we've talked or what we did talk about last week. And the reason that this matters and the reason why I believe that this series matters is that when you know who you are, you know what to do. In other words, like I just told you, if our church closed today, would the city care? Well, if we're called to make a difference, then we know what to do. We're to go impact people. And so that's really kind of kind of get everybody on the same page. And so now I'm going to jump into today. And I, I, there's multiple ways that I could have approached this. And sometimes I can uh, be a little more intellectual in a way in approaching like why the Bible matters. Uh, and I'm not going to do that today. I've done it before, but I would encourage you. Uh, there's, if you're really into that type of like the more uh, intellectual approach to scripture as to how do we know that the Bible is real, I'll recommend one little book to you. It was written in the late 60s called Science Speaks by a guy named uh, Peter Stoner. He was a, a statistician and uh, he did a mathematical equation, which I'm a numbers guy. And so I love that kind of stuff on um, eight prophecies about Jesus. So in other words, in the Old Testament, there were eight scriptures that foretold about what would happen to Jesus or about Jesus and really about his birth specifically. Now there's over 300 prophecies in scripture and he took it and just said, if, if just eight of them, what's the possibility of one human being in all of human history to fulfill just these eight? And it's really cool. So I'm not going to tell you more because I don't want to spoil it for you. But it's a really cool book. If you like that kind of stuff, I would encourage you to uh, read that. You can get it online. Um, and so, but today I want to uh, give you an idea a little bit different when it comes to Scripture. Because I believe if we're not careful, we can actually elevate Scripture and miss the whole point of Scripture. And I'm going to show you why I think that. And because there is a purpose to scripture. And how many of you grew up in a church that you like went to Sunday school or you went somewhere where you had to do like Bible memorization? Aren't you glad that you learned the Bible? You know, but how many of you realize that it's more than just memorization of scripture? And even in reading your Bible, you may miss the whole point of reading your Bible. And yet Jesus tells us how we're supposed to and why we're supposed to approach Scripture. And so I want to give us a little bit of basis here before we kind of dive into that. But I'm going to start in John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. 
And it says that in the beginning, the word already existed. So in other words, before there was ever pen put to paper, the word of God already was alive. It said that the word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him. So the word is a person, not just a thing. That's important. It goes on, it says that the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse 14 says that, um, that, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So in other words, hey, it's not just a book. It's not words on a page. It's not just a story. The word of God actually represents a person. Now, most of you probably know the answer to this. But that person is Jesus, right? And so it's important that we understand this. In Colossians chapter 1, it actually echoes this about about Christ. And it says that he is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God's like, go look at Jesus. He's the visible image of the invisible God. It says that he's the firstborn heir of all of creation. It says for... uh, Through the sun, everything was created, both in the heavenly realm and on the earth. All that is seen and all that is unseen. Verse 17 says, he existed before anything was made, and now everything finds their completion in him. Let me say it in other words, is that you will never be satisfied in life until you come to Jesus. You may be here this morning and you're like, I don't know about this church thing. I don't know about this, uh, the whole God thing. I don't know where I'm at, but I can tell you, you will never find completion until you come to Jesus. Why? Scripture even says, it says, everything finds their completion in him. Now, one day Jesus was talking to some of the uh, religious elite of the day. The who's who of the Christian world, as we would say it today. And they were known as the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They were the guys who sat around in robes and they, they memorized large chunks of Scripture. Uh, they were required to. And so they didn't have to read the Bible. They could just start reciting it by memory. And so they spent all of their time very focused on Scripture. And they gave a very high priority to memorizing the Word of God, which is a good thing. But Jesus actually challenged their thought one day. And in... John chapter 5, and this is really kind of one of the main focus points of today's message, is he, he talks to them in John chapter 5, verse 39. He says that you are busy analyzing the scriptures. He says you're frantically pouring over them in hopes of gaining eternal life. Now, there's a lot of people that want to debate about what the Bible has to say or what the Bible doesn't say, or there's a lot of differences, maybe even inside of the church, as to different doctrinal beliefs. And what I would say is that Jesus is about to tell us none of that matters. Really. Because he tells them, he says, look, you guys are so busy analyzing, trying to make sure. I mean, he, at one point, Jesus told them that they measure out even the herbs. Their herbs, like the tithe of the herb, they would weigh it out on a scale. How many of you know that a leaf doesn't weigh very much? And they're going to make sure that it's not, you know, 9.9% and not 10.1%. It's going to be 10% because that's what they, they were so religious and legalistic about everything. And everything was very precise and calculated and measured in everything. It didn't matter what it was. 
And Jesus begins, so he, he tells me, he says, you guys are, are just pouring all of this energy into memorizing scripture, hoping that when you get to heaven, God's going to ask you, can you recite the Bible? And they're going to say, yes, I can. And he's going to say, well, come on in. But they missed the whole point. It goes on and it says, Jesus is speaking to them. He says, everything you read points to me. Everything that you read points to me. Why does scripture matter? Because it represents Christ. It's not just words and there's something way more to it and more powerful for us. And he goes on and he tells him, he says, but you refuse to come to me so that I can give you the life that you're looking for, eternal life. And if we're not careful, we can actually approach Scripture and even have a mindset of Scripture that it's so important. Like we can have our daily devotional. We can read the Bible every day because that's what we know we're supposed to do and yet miss the whole point. The purpose of engaging with Scripture is actually to find Jesus. It's to find him throughout Scripture. and He's in cover to cover. Why? Because the word of God existed before anything we've ever seen. Before anything we've ever known. And so the Pharisees spent all of their time dissecting what God wanted and how God wanted things. And they were trying to uphold it. Have you ever tried to like live the Bible? Like you read it and you're like, I'm going to stop doing that because the Bible says I shouldn't do that. And then you try to do it in your own strength. It's a glorious disaster, right? You laugh because you know it's true. And it's like, man, this is really hard. But yet they were trying and attempting to try to uphold it. Yet the whole time they were actually missing the forest for the trees. They missed the whole point. And so really the scriptures and the law became their God rather than actually having a relationship with God. Wow, they were just checking off boxes. I read my chapters today. I read my devotional today. I prayed today. It was just religion it was just real really more form but no real function in their life let me say it this way is it it changed something here but it never changed their heart and we're supposed to engage with scripture to the point that it actually changes us and so when we actually understand uh what the bible actually is the bible is actually a map pointing to a person and that person is jesus and that's how we should approach scripture It's like a roadmap and you can see Jesus in the Old Testament. You can see Jesus in the New Testament. When I say Jesus in the Old Testament, I don't always mean him physically. Sometimes there's types and shadows, although I personally have the belief that Jesus does show up in the Old Testament Uh, in different places. There's actually um, a priest who shows up. The Bible calls him a high priest that shows up to Abraham named Melchizedek. That's a fancy name. Aren't you glad your parents didn't name you that? And, uh, you know, but the Bible says that he has no beginning and he has no end. He just shows up and then disappears. I personally hold to, and many people hold to this, that it was actually Jesus showing up to establish a covenant with Abraham. And you're like, well, why does that matter? Because the Bible says that we are now sons of Abraham because of his faith. And so that interaction with Jesus actually affects us today. And so we need to understand that when we're talking about Scripture or the Word of God, that Jesus is the Word, and the Word is Jesus. They're not two separate things. In other places, Jesus made the statement, says, I am the living bread. Right? I mean, we've heard these types of things. I am the bread of life. What's he talking about? It's the Word of God. And so 
So when we engage in Scripture, one of the things that should be our goal is as I'm reading Scripture, I want to come to know the nature and the character of God. Like I'm not just reading it out of duty. I'm, I want to learn more about him. Like, let me give you an example of this. Like, me and my wife, we've been married for 18 years, been together for 22 years. If you came to me and said that my wife did something that's outside of the character of I know her to be, I would tell you flat out, that's not her. She wouldn't do that. Why? Because I know her. Well, when I can go to Scripture and I see the nature and the character of God, when somebody else wants to come and accuse God of something, I can say with great confidence, that's not God. Why? Because it goes against the nature and the character that I see of him in Scripture. And that's why it's important that I actually know the Bible and know the Scripture and understand what it has to say. And so you could, so that's important. And so you could say it this way, and I've said this before, I've made the statement and shared it before, is that the Old Testament really is Jesus concealed. In other words, you got to kind of pay attention. He's kind of hidden, but he's there. I mean, we just read it in John 1. Well, he was also in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, who God spoke the word. Jesus made it happen. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit watched over it all. All three parts of the Trinity were active in that moment. But so, so Jesus, even in the Old Testament, he's concealed. New Testament, he's revealed. Like, hey, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. And so when we approach Scripture, we need to know that. If you're like, man, I don't know where to start. Like, I've never really read the Bible. I'll give you a couple suggestions. If you want some practical things, like just how do I live my life? There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Today is the 14th. So today you could read Proverbs 14. Tomorrow you can read Proverbs 15. Whatever day of the month is, read that proverb. And you're like, but yeah, what do I do about in February when there's only 28 days? Don't worry about it. Just go back to chapter one. You're going to get to it 11 other times this year, maybe. You know, and so, but it, so you say that. You're like, okay, well, hey, I'm new to the faith. I don't really know anything about scripture. Where should I start? Start in John. The Gospel of John. It's a personal book. John actually gives us a picture much more personal of a relationship with Jesus than the other Gospels. Start in John. You're like, yeah, I've done that. Go read Matthew, Mark, Luke. Just start somewhere. And you're like, man, I know the Bible. I've been at church my whole life. I know all these things. Get a reading plan. I heard um, this last week, uh, the Bible app that Life Church put out a number of years ago. This week hit a milestone it was the, by the way, it was the first app to ever be offered for free on the app store. I thought that was kind of cool. They have 500 million downloads of that app to date as of like this week. 500 million people have downloaded that app. It's free. Everybody say free. How many of you like free stuff? What's better than free stuff? Free stuff that's with you. And your phone's always with you. And so you can have your Bible. And there are all kinds of reading plans on there. Like, well, how long should I read until you stop paying attention? When you check out, that's your limit. You're like, man, I got a good five minutes. Five minutes is better than no minutes. Now, if you're more, yeah, I'll just tell you what I do right now. One of the things that I'm doing, is I'm doing the one year Bible reading plan. It takes me about 20 minutes a day. And I read approximately portions of about four or five different chapters. I read about two chapters from really the Old Testament, a psalm, a scripture from Proverbs, and about a chapter or two in the New Testament. It takes me about 20 minutes. It's on the Bible app. Every day you go on there, and it just says, 
Here's your reading for today. It's real simple. But it's important that we actually engage with Scripture. But it, and it's more than just mental knowledge. And this is, this is why. And, and so there was a moment with Jesus and the disciples. And, and this is the question that really matters for all of us today. And so Jesus asked, comes to his disciples and he says, hey, who do people think that I am? And they start saying, oh, some think you're Elijah. Some people think this. Some people think you're just a prophet. Some people think you're this or that or whatever. And then, but Jesus turns it a little bit and he says, okay, guys, what about you? And so we see this question that actually comes out of Mark chapter 8, verse 29. It says, who do you say that I am? He made it personal. And this question is the question that all of us need to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because who you say that he is, is who he can be in your life. It doesn't mean that he couldn't be more. But whatever degree that you believe him to be, that's the extent that he can work in your life. In other words, if you think he's limited, he will be limited in your life. Why? Because we've put the cap. Even with scripture, if Jesus is the word and the word is scripture, if I say, well, the Bible's just an old book that really doesn't affect me anymore. Guess what? When I approach it, guess what I'm going to get out of it? Nothing. Why? Because my expectation is very low. But if I say then that Jesus is my life, like Jesus is the reason I get up every day. Jesus is the reason I go to work. Jesus is the reason I love my wife. Jesus is the reason that I love my kids. Jesus is the reason that I love my neighbor. Like, all of a sudden it becomes what? And I go to the word of God and all of a sudden the word of God starts becoming alive. Why? Because it's not just words anymore. It's actually powerful truth that transforms my life. It molds me. And so, but, but it's not just as simple as, well, we need to know the word of God. There's more to it than that. And so in Hebrews chapter four, verse two, it actually tells us and gives us this idea and this is important for us to understand because you can know scripture and it have no effect in your life. There are lots of people that have religious knowledge. They can quote scriptures. They're a Christian. They can tell you scriptures. They can say all these things. And yet here in verse two of Hebrews four, it actually gives us an example. And it says, for indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. In other words, I heard the word of God. But it's supposed to produce something. But it goes on here and it says, but the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith to those who heard it. Like, well, what does that mean? It means that they heard the word of God, just like you're hearing the word of God right now. And it could affect the person next to you and the person next to you and not affect you. What's the difference between them, them, and you? It actually says it right here. It says that it brought no profit. Let me say it the way I would say it. It made no difference in their life. It was just the scriptures. Right? And so we hear it. It just kind of, it goes in one ear and out the other. And let me get to my lunch and football game today. Or whatever you got going on today. Or you could understand that the word of God can actually transform your life. But it takes some elements. And so uh, I don't typically use props, but... The other day I was spending some time in prayer and the Lord gave me a little illustration. So you're going to get an illustrated sermon today. You're welcome. That, uh, thank you to the Holy Spirit. So it, does everybody know what this is? It's a lamp. Good job. So I know it's a shocker. So I'm going to give you a couple things that each one of these things actually represents. Okay. And, and so the light bulb, there's three of them in here. 
These light bulbs represent a problem, a concern, an issue that you may have. You're trying to get an answer to, right? Well, how many of you know, just because I say light B, nothing happened, right? I can hit the switch. Nothing's going to happen. Why? Because it's not plugged in, right? The light has the ability to give light, but it's lacking the power to give light right now. And so, so you have that. So we can also say that even this fixture, because the light, like if I unscrew this light bulb, my hand barely fits in here. It was a good idea in my head a second ago. Let's see here. Oh, 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 I'm about to lose the bulb. Ugh, there we go. That was more challenging than it should have been. This light bulb, just me holding it. Guess what? It doesn't do anything. It has the potential to help me to see it has the potential to do things in light of my illustration. This is my problem, but my problem left to its problem is a problem. It can't do anything by itself. And so, but so we have a problem. We have an issue. We have something we got going on. We may even know some scriptures and we may be quoting scriptures and praying and saying things that going, man, the scriptures just don't work. I've heard people talk about confessing God's word. I've heard people talk about that, but it just doesn't seem to help. Now, this power cord back here, this nice, beautiful yellow power cord. I'm OCD, and so I hate colored power cords on stage. But for the sake of my illustration, I asked for a bright one. So you can see it well. So this would represent the power and the presence of God in your life. And how many of you know that this has actually provides an answer? Let me say it in other words. This is the solution to my problem. It's God. Now, God's going to use something to help me with my problem. So this is, represents God, the ability, the answer to whatever I'm facing. I've got an issue, but here's the problem. It doesn't fit. But God has given us a way to engage. So we take our relationship with God, God all-powerful, God's the solution. I've got my light here. I plug it in. It's on at the moment. Ruins my illustration, but it's okay. Not really. So now I have my relationship with God. I've got my problem. I've got everything. I diagnose everything. Everything's right. I'm confessing the word. I'm speaking. I I mean, my relationship with God is good, but yet I still have this problem. And man, I've gone to scripture and I've asked people and, and it seems like nothing's really working. The missing ingredient is faith. Like, well, what is faith? Faith is the belief that God will do what he says. So you can have a relationship with God. You can know the scriptures, but it, just like it talks about here, we have to mix our faith with what we hear. We have to not just hear like, well, the Bible says that Jesus will heal. Yeah, but do you believe that he will heal you? Yeah, God is a provider, but will God provide for you? Who do you say that I am? Not who does pastor say that you are? Like, who do you in a very practical way? And so what happens is, is even this little extension cord, which this wasn't planned, it tells me, it's got a little light right here, and it says, hey, it's got power. So I'm like, hey, we're plugged in. Everything should be working, but it's not. 
well, this little button, so you got scripture right here, you got your problem right here, you've got God back here, and the problem is I need to take my faith and activate it. But without my faith, there is no light. The scripture is powerless until I believe it. But when I believe the word of God, the light comes on, the problem can become solved. All of a sudden, there's a solution where there was a problem. Why? Because I mixed faith with the word that I've heard. And so we have to get to a place where it's no longer just coming in and going out. We've got to let it get into our heart and say, well, how do I do that? I'm going to share with you in the next few minutes about this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. This is probably in one of my top five scriptures that I love. But it says that the word of God is alive and it's powerful. It's not just a dead old book. It has power. It contains power, but we have to access it by faith. It says it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joints and the mirror. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So if I wrote the Bible, if I wrote my own version, this is how I would say it. The Bible can tell you why you do what you do. It can tell you your attitudes and why they're there and, and, and different things. And it can even help correct and to teach us to move us forward. Now, in the Bible, you need to understand that there are two types when we're talking about Scripture. And, and specifically, the word, word, like W-O-R-D. There's two different uh, definitions for this in Scripture. And it's important for you to understand. Because we need both. Because you can't have the one without the other. And so the first one, and even in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about the armor of God. It says put on the full armor of God. It actually uses both of these terms. It says we're to put the belt of truth on around our waist. Well, that really there when it talks about that, it means the word is logos. It's the written word of God. So it's your Bible. So it's what I can read with my eyes. So I can look at it. And so, but the other side of that is, is that the written word of God is the general knowledge. It's available to everybody and it is good for everybody. And if we can learn the scriptures and if we can put it in our heart, I believe that when we put it in there and when we don't need it, when we do, it's there. That's important. The second side of this is, and the Bible talks about this, it's the only offensive weapon that we see in Ephesians about the armor of God. It is the sword of the spirit. It's the only offensive weapon that we see. And it says that we are to, and, and so really what that represents, I believe, because you're like, well, why do I have scripture and scripture in a sense? It's two different meanings. The first one is the written word of God. But the power of God, or the power of God's word becomes active when you begin to speak it. When you begin to say God's word over your life. And, and so what happens with that, and this is what I would say, is that, um, or how I would explain it to you, is that I can have head knowledge of the written word. I can read it with my eyeballs. I can read the words on the, on the page. But something happens when all of a sudden I perceive the word of God in my heart. There's a revelation that happens and it's no longer just words in my head. Now it's something that is beginning to work and to transform my heart. And so this is a, a rhema word. That's the Greek. So logos and rhema, those are Greek words. Many times with Greek, we have one word, they have multiple words. Like give you another example. We have love. We say, I love my team. I love my dog. I love this food. I love my family. We have one word for love. 
the Greek word has four different types of love. They give us much more clarity as to what the scripture is actually talking about. Just good knowledge. The New Testament was written in Greek. That's why when you go to church, people are like, why are they always talking about Hebrew and Greek? The Old Testament was written in Hebrew originally. It's the original text. The New Testament was written in Greek. That's sometimes why we'll pull these words out. And you're like, well, why do I need two different types of scripture? The Logos is the general understanding. But how many of you know you don't live in generalities? You live in specific circumstances. Like you don't just owe some money. You have a bill that has an amount, right? It's you live in specifics. Well, you need the help of the Holy Spirit to bring the word of God into specifics into your life. And so it, it is something that comes alive, not here, but it's something just like turning on this light bulb. Like you can say, hey, I know the scriptures. I just don't know what to do with them. How does this affect my life? Well, I need some revelation, that light bulb moment. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's what that meant. I didn't realize that I was supposed to do this or do that. I didn't realize that that's what this scripture was actually talking about. Now, I don't have this time to really uh, dive into this, but I do want to share this with you. And, and this is important. Why, and you say, well, why don't I just need rhema word? Because you got to have the logos for the revelation to come. It's like saying you want bread without the flour. It ain't going to happen. It's just not. At least not good bread. Now, John chapter 14, verse 26 tells us that the Holy Spirit will remind us or quicken us with the word that we've put in our heart. It says he will remind you of all the things that you've stored up. Well, he can't remind you of something that you never put in to begin with. So you got to put the word of God in so that when you need it, the Holy Spirit can bring it back to your your remembrance. Here's another uh, thing that you can understand about Scripture is that Scripture not only tells us about who Jesus is, but they all also tell us about who we are and who we can be. The Bible in James chapter one, it talks about this. It says that we can come to scripture and we can look at it like a man looking at a mirror. I see myself, I walk away and I forget what manner of man I am. In other words, I can approach scripture and it can say I'm more than a conqueror in Christ and I can walk away and be defeated. No, but the, what does the Bible say about you? Well, I've got an issue that I can't get over. What does the Bible say about you? You're not defined by what your issue is. You're defined by the blood of Jesus that has paid the price for you. That's who you now identify with. And so it's important that when we come to Scripture, we're not just looking for Jesus. We're also looking for ourselves. Who am I? Who am I? Who, who has God created me to be? See, if we don't understand Scripture and we don't really have much of a knowledge, or the enemy will get the upper hand. He will every time. Now, we don't, you can go read this later, but in Luke chapter 4, we actually see the temptation of Jesus. Jesus gets water baptized. God speaks from heaven. It's this real angelic, like, ah, moment. God speaks, this is my son and who I am well pleased. Like this amazing moment. And it says that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested for 40 days. Now, I know if you think about that, it might mess with your theology a little bit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and tested and tried by the devil. I could preach a whole message on just that, by the way. 
They're like, yeah, but God will never, uh, God will never tempt me. You're right. He won't. The scripture says he won't. But without some resistance, you'll never grow. That's another message for another day. But in Luke 4, Jesus actually shows us the pattern of how to even deal with thoughts and things that come that are contrary to God's word. Because the devil comes to him three times in the wilderness and tempts him. He really, if you really go and read it, he actually says, tells Jesus in the windup of all of it, he says, I'll give you everything that you came here for. Basically saying, Jesus, I know you're the Messiah. I know you came. I know why you're here. I know what you came to do. But I'll just, let's just skip all that crucifix. Let's skip all that grave and all that death and all that pain. Let's skip all that. And let me just give it to you. In other words, the enemy said, hey, let me just shortcut what God wants to do. And I'll just, I'll just hand it over to you. But there were some qualifiers. And he said, hey, why don't you tell those stones to, you're hungry. You haven't eaten in a while. If you're the son of God, he challenges his identity. He said, hey, if you're really the son of God, why don't you just turn one of these stones into a loaf of bread? Jesus absolutely could have done it. But yet Jesus responded and says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word which comes from the father. Well, he's quoting the Old Testament. And then he comes to me and says, it takes him to a, a high place. And he says, look at the kingdoms of the world. He says, I'll give them to you if you worship me. Oh, no, no, no. The commandments say, you'll have no other God before me. And he tempts him. And it's simple. I mean, it's simple. Not It's just going back to Scripture, going back to Scripture, going back to Scripture. Jesus shows us the pattern. And so how do we activate God's word in our life? How do we hit the switch? Right? Like if I know the Scripture, I know I have an enemy, I know I need to get some victory. How do I hit the button? Here's three ways. They're simple, not complicated. Number one, you got to make it a priority. Make it a part of your day. Like I said, whatever your attention span is, start there. Like, yeah, but I don't feel anything. Think about going to the gym. Other than being sore, what do you feel after your first day at the gym? Nothing. But if you keep going to the gym, you get stronger. You start losing some weight. You start feeling better. You start getting your energy back. It didn't happen on day one. So why do we approach Scripture that way? The more that we process it... So we want to make it a priority. Number two, you got to believe what you read. Believing does not mean understanding always. I can get hung up on that. I want to understand. Like I'm analytical. Let's take it apart. Explain to me how this works. And God's like, I just need you to trust me. I don't want to. I want to understand. And sometimes I have to, what, mix my faith and then the understanding will come later. God's not hiding anything from me, but he wants to know if I trust him. So I got to make it a priority. I got to believe what I read. Number three, you just got to meditate on it. The the picture of that is actually a cow chewing grass. I won't go into all the graphic details, but they chew it, they swallow it, they spit it back up, they chew it, they swallow it, and they repeat the process over and over and over again. Repetition. Not duty. There's life. I'm looking for Jesus in Scripture. And, and so, and, but what happens is that, and you say, well, how, how do I meditate Scripture? Start confessing it. Whatever your 
issue is. Go find a scripture that actually talks about it. The, the Bible is full of promises. It may be a sickness. It may be lack. It may be any number of things. You may not have peace in your life. Let me give you a good scripture. Jesus said before he left the earth, my peace, not some second rate, secondary, other peace. He said the very peace that I have, the same peace that stood up on the back of a boat and told a hurricane to calm down. And the Bible says everything became calm. That same peace. He says, I'm going to give it to you. Not the peace that the world gives, but the peace that comes from me. And it doesn't mean that circumstances will always change out. But just because there's chaos outside of me does not mean that chaos needs to be in me. And if there's chaos on the inside of me, it's because I've lost sight of Jesus. Go read the account of of, uh, Peter walking on water. As long as he stayed focused on Jesus, he could walk above the storm. The problem became when he became more focused on the issue than he was on Jesus. And the Bible says he began to drown. And Jesus, in his grace, went and grabbed him. He didn't berate him. He didn't say, how foolish are you, Peter? Everybody always gives Peter a hard time. He deserves it, but everybody always gives Peter a hard time. But I'm like, who else got out the boat, though? Who else could say, Jesus walked on water, so did Peter. He may have been foolish, but man, there's only two water walkers that I've known of. We don't know how long Peter walked, but he can say, hey, I was out there, boys. I mean, and so what happens when we begin to to declare God's word over our life is it actually that our thoughts begin to align with God's word about ourself and also about our situation. This is what I would tell you when you really when, when, when the word of God becomes active in your heart. Is that you realize how much more life is actually spiritual than natural. Is that many times we don't realize that a lot of the, the, the challenges that we face, this ain't the problem. We have an enemy and we're saying, I have a problem, I have a problem, I have a problem. And the enemy's over here working. And we're looking right here. As opposed to saying, I know this is a problem, but my real problem's over here. And I'm going to deal with him with scripture the way that Jesus did. And this is going to take care of itself when I take care of the actual cause. Many times we live our life in a way that we're trying to deal with issues as opposed to realizing, hey, I've got an enemy and he's coming after me. And he's trying to bring chaos and destruction and and terrorize my life. And he's got us distracted. You know, it's like a magician. Look over here. And he's over here doing something. That's how magic works, right? It's distraction. And that's the way the enemy works. So the last scripture I'm going to share with you is this, is Romans chapter 12, verse 2, gives us some instructions. It says, stop uh, imitating the ideas and the opinions of the culture around you. You know, culture will always pull you down. The word of God will lift you up, but culture will pull us down. So it says, stop imitating the world around you. It says, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit. By the total reformation of how you think. Most of our issues are actually in here. Most of this causes this. And if I can fix this. 
it'll become useful. But I got to change the way I think. The scripture keeps going here. It says, so that we have to be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit. So it says the Holy Spirit will what? Use the word of God to transform the way I think. It says that this will empower you to discern the will or God's will as you live a beautiful and satisfying and perfect um, or satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Scripture is more than words on a page. It is transforming power. The word of God is alive. It is active and it will work. And it's very tangible. It's very real. It will affect your daily life if you engage with it. But you've got to mix some faith with it. You've got to believe the word of God, that God's word is true. Above what I see, above what I feel, above my emotions, above my opinions. I mean, I've held opinions that I had to give up because the word of God disagreed with them. And I have to say, either I'm right or God's right. That's not easy, but who's right? Well, what's supreme? What's most important? Where's the standard in my life? Well, I've already decided it's the word of God. And so I want to share just a real quick clip with you. Um, and, and this is so th- there's a company called Logos. And so they're a Bible company. I don't know how to explain it. They print Bibles. They do all kinds of stuff. And so I want to I was going to share these with you. And I just thought I'm just going to show you the clip. I've shown it a while back, but I'm going to show it to you again. And it talks about what happens when you engage in Scripture. And uh, so we can go ahead and play that video real quick. It's just got some cool little facets for us here. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80. And they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. They weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, when we're in the scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday, that's pastor saying you open your Bible, we hear the message one time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map. Like there was a heartbeat, something happened again, a heartbeat, but here was a profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, th- I mean, there'd be a gradual incline right. on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this what, extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang- four times a week in the four Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, That's amazing right there. So when I'm talking about scripture, it's very practical. Like loneliness, very practical. Depression, very practical. 
Satisfaction in relationships, very practical. Like that's everyday kind of stuff. Purpose, meaning, like it's all hidden in scriptures for you. So I just want to encourage you today, make it a priority to engage in the scriptures. Not just in reading of the words on the page, not just checking off boxes on your to-do list. Find Jesus. Find yourself in the scriptures. Because that's where the real you is, by the way. You're going to find yourself right there in the middle of it. And so I want to pray this morning over you and for you today. And I'm going to pray that, he, you know, there's a prayer in Ephesians chapter uh, 1. It talks about the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. I would encourage you, if you've never read Scripture, go and read that. And, and before you even read the Scriptures, say, well, how do I do that? You say, Father, I just thank you that my eyes are about to be opened up to your real word. That I'm going to read the words on the page, but I think more than the words on the page, I think that the eyes of my spirit are about to be opened up to see what you're telling me in the Scriptures. And just pray that before you read. Look, I had a problem. I'll just give you a quick. When I was in school, you know, we always had those standardized tests. Hated those things. My goal was just to get done. Uh, not really to care about. But my lowest score always was reading comprehension. Always, by a lot. I could read a paragraph and not tell you what I just read. I mean, it, it was a struggle for me. To really just sit down and read and to focus. I just couldn't do it. I still think I'm ADD, but they never told me that, you know, so. But, but I mean, I would, I, I, you know, read this paragraph and answer the question. I'd read the paragraph, go to the question and be like, I have no clue. I'd go back and reread the paragraph, come back to the question. I have no clue. Go back and read the paragraph. I had to read it three and four times. So this is something that was actually a challenge for me to like actually just absorb the word of God. And that's why I say, just start where your attention span is. If that's two minutes, start there. You may be able to do 10 minutes. But it's amazing to me that the very area that I was so weak in, I can rattle off scriptures pretty easily today. Why? Because I've hidden God's word in my heart because I made it a priority. I made it a point to put it in me over and over and over and over and over again. Because I see the the blessing and the benefit and, and there's nothing special about me at all. I've just made it a priority. Is that God, I, I'm going to know you through your word. I want to know who you are and I know that, that I can see who you are in scripture and even when there's gaps, you'll fill it in with revelation and understanding. And God will do the same thing for you. And so I want to pray this morning that God's going to do that for you. He's going to open up your eyes to see Scripture in a new light, in a new way, that it's going to affect your today and tomorrow and this week and next week. And, and so let's just pray this morning.